All right, today we are talking about the supremacy of the papacy. It's a big word. I noticed that I was writing these things, I start talking bigger, go back to my college days. Um, we're really talking about uh, the time period from 1054 to 1305 in the church where the church, because the, the papal power becomes at its zenith, its highest point. The, um, it's the point when the papal, uh, the, the church has its um, highest point in temporal powers. Um, and uh, Hildebrand and uh, Innocent III, they're going to be f going to raise the church to where it's at its highest point it's ever been, and well, it, it's ever been, and it hasn't been since then as well. Um, this medieval period was where it hit its how it, its. Uh, its health, but it's going to find that um, that nationalism in in France and England and and um, you know and people that want to dispose of the Pope is going to prove to be a problem, and we're going to see it fall as well. But um, there is a handout I put out on the back page, yeah, the back table. If you did not get it, it's back there. Um, this is going to give you some of the names. Of course, I put the name, a lot of the names in the app as well. Um, this uh, handout, which I did not make, I got it from uh, uh, Christianity Through the Ages. Uh, it's, um, um, it, it, um, it's, it's going to be where we're going to talk about the the church and its 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 highest point that leads us up to the Crusades. Uh, we are going to talk about the Crusades next week. Um, I don't know how in depth I'm going to go to each Crusade. I'm not going to talk about each battle, that's for sure. <laughs> but we are going to talk about the Crusades hopefully by next week. So, um, So as we're talking about the the papacy getting its uh, its highest point, we're going to have to talk about Gregory the Seventh. Um, Gregory the Se Pope Gregory the Seventh. Um, well, Gregory the Seventh and Innocent the Third are easily going to dominate church history as the highest point in, in papal history. Um, they were, both men were unwilling to accept that God, the idea that God had given the Pope and the temporal rulers co-sovereignty over man and over, they're going to say that Pope is over everything. And um, we're going to see them come to power no subsequent popes have been able to gain the power that these two men have had. Um, 
the story of Gregory the third, uh, seventh actually begins with a man named Hildebrand. Now, Hildebrand, you can see that name in the app. Um, Hildebrand, uh, from uh, 1023 to 850, he is going to be, he's going to start a career which really divides itself into two periods. First, he's going to be the power behind the throne, the papal, the, the, the papal throne. For over 20 years, um, then he's going to become Pope Gregory VII. Hildebrand um, is, um, well, was a small, ungainly man who had a weak voice. Uh, would not have made it on TV today. Um, but he has the zeal of a man who is all in it for, I guess, reform and God's supremacy. And um, he really got his start when Leo the Ninth gave Hildebrand a chance to become the power behind the throne by selecting him and other good men from outside of Rome to fulfill the positions in the papal curia about the beginning of the 4th century. Uh, certain churches in Rome had uh, had okay, so remember last week we talked about how the, the Pope and his priest became the only people who could baptize people. And they said there's only certain places where you can baptize people. Well, pastors of the certain places where you can baptize people became known as the cardinal priest. That's where that term comes from. You might hear the cardinal priest. They're the ones that are have the ex, ex, that, that are designated as exclusive sites for baptism at this time. Um, those rules have become lessened nowadays. You can, any priest can baptize, but at this time period, it was, they were the, the head. Um, and um, Rome would divide its district into its, its area, its territories into districts for works of charity and for baptisms and, and the priest of those areas would be the cardinal deacons. So the people that were over the charity work were the cardinal deacons. So you had the cardinal priest and the cardinal deacons. The bishops near Rome became known as the cardinal bishops and they were the nucleus to become the cardinal college. Now, who knows what the cardinal college does? It wasn't too long ago that the cardinal college came into effect. These are the people that elect the next pope. All right, so a lot of, lot of church history and, and stuff summed up in a really short sentence. So if you're interested in that, go read some more on that topic. But um, Hildebrand was placed in charge of the finances of Rome. 
So he controls the purse strings of the Roman church. And he becomes a cardinal because of it. Then, during the rule of Nicholas II, he helped to have uh, legislation passed that took the power of electing the Pope out of the the populist hand just to this cardinal college. So he's the reason. He he pushed for that. Because when originally it was everyone kind of just voted on a Pope. Now it's only this cardinal college, the Sikh cardinal college. Um, And that's why you have that... uh, those uh, those gatherings, remember the, the smoke that they throw the special log in and it throws the, the, the color change out of there. We've chosen a new pope. Um, that will develop over time. Um, so because at the earliest time, from the earliest time, Bishop of Rome had been elected by popular vote. And then the emperors of the Holy Roman Emperor, Empire started elect, uh, electing or the, the bishop. And now uh, there's a change and they say, no, it's only this cardinal group that can elect the pope. And, of course, Hildebrand controls that group because he controls the finances. Um, so... Um, He's going to take that. Now, he's going to allow, um, and so this is going to give the, a rise to papal power that is away from the people and just in the hands of a few elect church members. It's out of the sovereign's hands as well. It's out of the emperor's hands as well. It's just in the power of the church. So, Eventually, in 1073, Hildebrand is going to be unanimously, unanimously voted, elected as Pope Gregory VII. Hildebrand Hildebrand becomes Gregory VII. He goes through a name change. It is not uncommon for when a pope comes to power to take on a another pope's name to gain that same kind of authority or that kind of power or you know um sometimes there's very there's very few the first anymore it's all the you know this is gregory the seventh uh-huh Yep, he controls who gets put in that kind of college. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. You got it. <laughs> uh, when you get into this politics, it gets confusing, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so he becomes the Pope, and he works 
for his ideal of a theocracy. Now, I've thrown that word out before. What's a theocracy? All right, let's break it down. What's a theo? What's theo? Theos? Close. Think a little higher. God, that's right. Theos just means God. <laughs> uh, and then where we, where else we see that 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 uh, uh, ocracy? Where do we see that word? Uh, we we see that 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 ending on other words. Where where do we see that? Democracy. There you go. This government. So it's it's a type of government. So theocracy is God government. It's the idea in which temporal as well as spiritual power would be exercised by the Pope as vice regent of God. So God's the true king, and the Pope is the one who, who uh, rules in his place as the temporal leader. The idea comes from the idea of like Moses, where Moses was the spokesman for God and, and ruled the people of Israel, but God was the head. And, and so the, he, the Pope says, well, I'm the head of all now. And so he's going to push for his idea. Um, and this idea that it's, is going to be developed in the Dictus uh, Pape, which is a document that was found among the letters of Hildebrand after his death, actually. Um, you can go read it today, uh, even today. And it expresses the idea that there is no such thing as an earthly re, uh, king, earthly empire, emperor, and not even a president. The pope was in charge of everything. Pope, the, his idea was the pope was the ruler, both temporal and spiritual. It was all under God's command, and he was the representative of God, and therefore he should be emperor of all. Um, God alone. That's the, you cannot worship both man and God. You have to worship just God. Um, called to be universal, head over all, and and that the priest should be uh, like the dukes, and um, and that he has the power to dispose all the emperors. And uh, they were evil if they did not support him. Um, and he was fully prepared to enforce these temporal claims as, as well as spiritual supremacy. He has his own little military. Um, and he asserts that countries such as England, Hungary, Russia, and Spain have been put under the control of him, of, uh, by Peter and his successors. And, of course, he's the successor because he's the pope. Um, 
so he warns the clergy against simony and uh, marriage and um, so but he's um, he's going to go after um, the, the, the lay leaders to bring them under his control um One of the big ones um, in this struggle is you're going to look on that list. You see Gregory the Seventh versus Henry the Fourth. That was one of the big struggles that he's going to have. As um, in 1075, Roman synod, uh, synod forbade any high clergy to receive uh, infrastructure to a church office from a layman, and um, and he's going to, and, and um, well, let's just say uh, Henry and Gregory are not going to get along. <laughs> uh, Gregory is going to uh, excommunicate uh, the ruler of uh, the, of the of the. This is the he's the ruler of Henry is the ruler of the Holy Roman Empire. Which remember is never neither holy, Roman or an empire, um, and uh, he's going to get excommunicated. Um, he's going to um, uh, call out Henry's leaders, um, denounce him, his authority. Um, Enemies of Henry, remember how, I'm trying to remember how to say this, um, remember how, I think it was a couple weeks we talked about the Scandinavian Saxons and stuff like that fell under the control they fell under and how important that was? Well, this is one of the reasons it was so important. They pressure Henry and say that if you do not fall under the Pope's rule, we're going to attack you. And he, Hildebrand, uh, Gregory VII, uh, uh, is going to use a system of alliances under his rule as Pope to bring other leaders under his control, like Henry. That they're going to say, if you do not fall under him, we're going to attack you. Um, and, and they actually said, if you do not... They they say they didn't say they didn't word it like if you don't follow his role they say if you do not get unexcommunicated we can't allow an excommunicated ruler to rule us basically if you don't fall under his control we're going to attack you uh, faced with danger of losing his throne and, and humiliation uh, he will fall under um, he with his wife um, I think I have a picture yeah there we go he with his wife and uh, 
his baby son crossed the Alps in the winter of 1077 to meet with Gregory. Um, difficult journey. And when he finally reaches uh, the, where Gregory's at, um, Gregory let him stand barefoot in the snow outside the gates of the palace on three successive days before he would admit him and release him from his excommunication. Um, I have trouble with this time period. <laughs> um, the leaders really forced me to struggle with this is Christian. I'll say it again. When I first come across this in high school, when I said, if this is Christianity, I don't want to be part of it. Now, when Henry does become excommunicated, become unexcommunicated, uh, his uh, his enemies stop attacking him, and he does allow the Holy Roman the Empire to th thrive again. So it was he does benefit for him. Um, so, I mean, there is something there. Um, Gregory will later excommunicate and depose Henry a second time um, because Henry will invade Italy and try to select Wilbert as Pope, put, try to replace Hildebrand as Pope. And uh, he'll... Um, Gregory will then ask the Normans of southern Italy to help him, and they will pillage. And that, yes, that with all the words, what all the meanings pillage behind it. I mean, they didn't just go in and be nice. They pillaged the area around Rome, and Gregory was forced to uh, flee. Um, um, and the great pope will actually end, end up uh, dying in exile, um, according to him, because he loved righteousness and hated iniquity. So he, he left, he fled, and, and that's, that's why they hated him so much, was because, not because he conquered people and forced them to obey, and, and he, but because he loved righteousness. Isn't how funny how we often see ourselves as we no one sees themselves as the villain. People don't see themselves as the villain. We always see ourselves as the hero. Gregory the Seventh, as I look at him, he's like, wow, that guy was a jerk. You know, I don't like a lot of things he stands for, and I'm just barely touching on a lot of things he did. Um, but he, he saw himself as a lover of righteousness, and everyone hated him because he was right, he loved righteous. Just like they, they hated me because they hate, because just like this. And I see this, you know, they hated Jesus, so they're going to hate me. I see that even today about a lot of Christians. You know, they behave badly, bigoted, hateful, racist. Oh, well, they just hate me because of my righteousness. I mean, we do have to question 
if people are hating us, like, okay, if it's for Christ, then they hate us for Christ. But we do have to look at that. Is it because of, am I following Christ? We have to ask ourselves that, you know. We can't just automatically say, well, I'm the hero of the story. And um, anyways, a couple popes later, elected as Pope in eleven ninety eight, Innocent the Third. Um, he's going to be probably bringing the, the Pope papacy even higher than Gregory the Seventh. Innocent the Third was the son of a Roman noble, had a fine education in Paris, uh, studied law. He's um, uh, had common sense, and he was a, a strong and vigor man. He was had a moral force within the popus, uh, the the papacy. He's uh, this is uh, Pope Innocent the Third as Vicar of God. Um, Innocent believed he had the supreme authority on earth. In this painting by um, I'm going to mispronounce this Giotto. Uh, he's granting St. Francis, Francis the right to preach. Um, innocent did. He believed he saw he was, and this is a quote, the vicar of God with supreme authority on earth. And he believed that kings and princes derived their authority from him and he could therefore excommunicate or dispose them or lay in, in interdiction or forbade... Uh, um, he could say, if you don't fall in line, the, the, the priest cannot, uh, the clergy cannot perform any but the most essential services of the church upon their state. He believed that God had given the successor of, of Peter the task of ruling, quote, the whole world. Now, if you're looking at the, the dates on this, the 1100s, it's not going to be too much longer that Manifest Destiny is going to be one of the things that is going to be the major calling cards of the push to the empire out to the Christ and to the new, new peoples, uh, like the United, what will become the United States, the Americas, um, the Chinas, the, the rulers. That manifest destiny, controlling all the world. And it comes from this kind of idea that, that Christ is overall and, and that they gave these people the right to rule the whole world, the church the right to rule the whole world. Um, <coughs> though it will mutate by then. Um, in his theory, the, his way of thinking, the Pope stands above man and below God and the state should relate to the church as the moon is to the sun. The moon shines by reflecting the light of the sun. The state was to bask in the glory of the papacy and derive its power from the Pope. That's a direct quote. 
Um, so Innocent is one of those that's going to bring England and France under his control. And he's going to defeat them. The, what Gregory couldn't do, he's going to actually defeat the Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire. Um, the um, yeah. So the first, he's going to take on over temporal versus spiritual rulers. Innocent is going to take up the challenge of raising nation states of France and England and the Holy Roman under the chair of Peter. First, he's going to go up against this Philip August of France in order that he might demonstrate that not even a king could flout moral law of God concerning marriage. Now, see, Philip... Um, well, he marries his first wife in 1193. Um, when his bride came to France, he took a dislike to her and claimed she had become bewitched. Okay, this is a little bit of French history. Um, and so when he, he, she became bewitched, he forced the French bishops to annul the marriage and he took another wife to his, uh, to his uh, another wife at home as his wife. And um, Innocent, therefore, heard about this, and he said, no. You cannot, not even a king could have sort, that, that null didn't count, you're still married. You have to send over away your second wife and just stay married to your first wife. That was his indignant. And, um, and he became involved in this, and uh, when Philip refuses to do this, Innocent placed uh, France under uh, interdict uh, of 1200, uh, which said that anyone in the nation um, well, he's going to close the churches of France except for baptism of infants and granting of extreme uh, the, the 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 last rites to the dying. Um, he's going to forbade celebration of mass. He's going to ban burial on consecrated grounds. Um, priests are not allowed to uh, preach. The Pope does this because he doesn't like Philip. He's basically saying that if you do not fall under me you will spiritually die. We're going to take away God from you. Now, these are all, the people of France are Catholic people. So now all of a sudden, the Pope is saying, and he's very good at, at marketing, he's not just saying, just closing down Mass, he's saying, the king has sinned against God, therefore we cannot be part of you. And so the people of France will turn against Philip because they're Catholic people. They're, they've worshipped in the Catholic Church. What do you mean we can't have Mass? What do you mean we can't? Well, it's Philip's fault. The number one way that uh, information, remember this before television, <laughs> radio, the number one way that media was passed was 
through the church. That's how information was passed. You gather together at the church. That's where, and so the church controls the media. What's being said? Well, of course, it's not the church's fault. It's not the Pope saying, gather, it's Philip's fault. And so the uproar that this, this forced Philip to submit to the Pope and, uh, and, and take back his first wife. Uh, he's not happy about it, but, uh, but the spiritual weapon had been used and, uh, and it firmly places Philip under the Pope's control. If you don't, you don't listen to me, I'll do it again. We'll just do it again. He, Philip, is completely under the control of, of the Pope at this time. Um, in 1205, between 1205 and 1213, Innocent was able to defeat John of England in contest over the election of Archbishop in the Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, Once again, in this situation, the Pope, uh, Innocent, goes against the king and says, I don't like who you've chosen as archbishop. It's my way or the highway. Um, and, uh, and uh, eventually... Um, The Pope is going to actually have England invaded. And uh, he'll hold the kingdom of England as a feudal vassal of the Pope until he agreed to pay a thousand marks annually to the Pope. Uh, this payment was not finally uh, reputed until the time of the English Reformation. So hundreds of years. Um, in 1202, he asserts the right to, of the Pope to approve or disapprove the emperor elected by the German electors of the empire, the Holy Roman Empire, which is Germany. Uh, he, he, he says, I have the right to approve whoever you elect. Um, and he does this by refusing one of the ones they, they elect. And uh, he'll have himself put in control over this, this place. And he's not afraid to call in the army of God to do his way. The crusade, when we think of the crusades, and we'll talk about the crusades hopefully next week, it wasn't just against the Muslims or the Slavs, it was also against other Christians. Um, to bring in God's righteousness from these popes. Actually, Innocent is, is, is a crusader. Um, uh, we have not talked about the crusades. We'll talk about that. Um, he is the one who brings about the uh, fourth crusade. Um, when we, uh, he will... 
bring a call to God's people to recover Palestine or Israel from the Muslims by capturing Egypt as a base for later action and, uh, and you know So he's he's the fourth he's the lead the Arab person of the fourth crusade. Uh, and he wants to control um, Constantinople because he's anticipating a fifth crusade. Um, One of the crusades that he leads his people against is against um, is against the Albigese of southern France. In 1209, they were uh, a heretical sect. Um, of the Carthari, uh, they claimed their beliefs were based on the Bible. Um, and uh, the Roman Catholic Church will actually around this time uh, forbade the people to possess Bibles. Because it might go against his power. The Bible was largely written in Latin at this point. That was the only official Bible was the Latin Bible. And actually, the more I study the Hebrew and the Greek, the more I learned that we got things from Latin, the way we look at things from Latin more than we do the Hebrew and the Greek. Uh, like begotten instead of unique. Um, When we say, could the general public read the Bible? That is a question that is, depends on where you're at and what time period you're talking about. Um, in certain areas, yes, absolutely everyone could read. It was largely, that. well, a lot of, especially the men could read. Um, in other areas, no, most people could not read. Um, in some time periods, see, we're, looking, we're really looking at a time period of three to five hundred years here. So it's not just as simple as to say, well, yes, everybody could read or no, no one could read. It's, 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 it's a very complex because in some areas reading was highly sought upon. In some areas it's not sought upon. Um, like places that had more wealth tend to produce more people that can read because they're not just working in the farms to fill. There's more people that are have the time to learn to read. Places that are poor has, tend to have less people that can read because they're on the farms all day and reading does not do you much good when you're just trying to, to farm. Um, so there's, it's, it's, it's a very complex question and one we cannot fully we cannot fully know how many people could read in a given area or not. We can only judge by the base of how many books or whatnot we find or the, some of the evidence. Uh, 
So you'll find some people that say, well, everyone was idiots and no one could read. Um, because this is the medieval period, the Dark Ages, by the yeah, after all, you know, no, you know. <laughs> and you'll have other people that lean towards the fact that more than more than we think could read, but there's no way for us to really know exactly how many of those people could read. We do know that there's enough people that can read that they're outlawing people to possess a Bible. So. There's enough to forbade it. Um, did the church, um, I'm repeating for the people online, the church, um, did the, the church restrict the masses to Latin and restrict people on, on which Bibles they could learn? Absolutely. Um, now, obviously, not every church will hold to that. There are different, I mean, we can't say that all churches fall under this, you know. They weren't all doing this, but a large number of them were holding it in Latin so that only the church, the, the priest could understand and they would have to explain it. They were also forbidding different types of Bibles. The, uh, the translation or the Bible wars are still going on, by the way. Very interesting study. I mean, I say it's still going on because how many people know King James only people? Like, I'm okay, King James only. I only read the King James. It's the authorized version. Authorized by who? By King James. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it's a bad translation. There are parts where I really like it, parts I don't. But I'm not a King James only person. And there's some uh, translations I obviously don't like. Um, the message, I think it's more of a commentary than a translation of the Bible. Uh, there's a new passion one that's coming out. I don't like it at all. There's a new, uh, the, the, the LET, I'm not crazy about. The NASB, I really enjoy. The ESV, I have mixed feelings on. The CSB, CSB I've, I've quite enjoyed. The NIV is good for many parts, but there are some things I don't like about it. You know, there's, there's all kinds of different translations. And the translation wars have been really brutal at different points in history. Where that to the point where they're forbidding, like the churches are forbidding Bible translations and saying it has to be this one, it has to be the one in Latin because we don't, you know, it's the only God, you know, because apparently God only speaks Latin in some, some circles. Uh, well, I mean, it sounds silly, but I had someone tell me once that if, King, if, if the King James English was good enough for Jesus, it was good enough for him. Um, and, and, and bless his heart, I, I didn't want to be like mean to the, the guy, but it really sounds, because he really believed that, that the King James, he, he, that's what he had been taught, was that Jesus spoke the King James English. 
And it was one of the ways they, they used to, to sponsor this idea that it was King James-only Bible, to go up against different translations of the Bible. And, um, and, and, and I was like, I, I didn't, I mean, to me, it just, it, I, I had trouble not laughing, too, because it, it sounds so silly to me, but, you know, Jesus is probably speaking Aramaic. But, uh, uh, um, but you know, but the idea that, um, and then he didn't write any of it. A lot of it was in Greek, and you know, you know most of the Bible, the New Testament is Greek, and and it was just. But that's what he had been taught, and he didn't know any better. It wasn't his. I, I don't think it was his fault. It was whoever taught him, and I don't know if it was their fault either. It was probably the person that taught them, because they were in a, a rural place that reading was, you know, I, I, I where part of the place I was preaching at. An eighth grade education was a top-notch education. They were mostly farmers, and eighth grade was, it sounds, you know, we're, you know as a college graduate, it sounds almost ridiculous that eighth grade was high, but it was, that was the highest they went. They were out on the farm. And so they relied on the preachers, and the preachers, were, unfortunately, were not good to them. And I don't, you know, and, and this, this, passing down of the the this bad traditions and so um so yeah so so i don't know the, the um you know one of the crusades was against other christians to bring them under the control of the pope um get rid of the heretics um yeah. All right. I do want to move on because I want to get to the Crusades. So, yeah, I can do it. Um, after abolishing heresy by force, Innocent attempts to make a positive statement of truth. And he does this by gathering people together in the Fourth Latin Council in 1215. Uh, where um, all the priests got together to confess um, a declaration of mass. Um, it said that every, all, all, all laity must go to church, too. That was part of his, 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 his thing. All laity must go to church, at least at Easter. Um, he's going to put together the idea that... Um, He's going to reinforce that idea. Remember last week we talked about the transubstantiation where the, the, the blood and the, the cup becomes the blood and the cup becomes, and the, the bread becomes the body. He's going to put, uh, push that on people at this time period. Um, and um, And he's going to give this idea that if you do not take the supplement, the, 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 the bread and the wine, then you're not a Christian. You're not part of the body. Um, it's no wonder that medieval people feared the clergy who had the power to withhold the sacraments. If we don't like you, we're going to hold the sacraments. 
and therefore you are not a Christian, and therefore you're going to burn in hell. Um, yeah. But this kind of power can't last forever. Um, apparently subheaders provide more information too. I don't know why that one's coming up there. Um, probably just because I didn't read it close enough. <laughs> um, Innocent III marked the peak of papal power in Europe. Um, but priest following him, um, there's stories of nepotism, simony, drunkenness, neglect, um, all kinds of crazy stuff that, that's <laughs> in the priesthood and the popes that are uh, some, some very bad popes that just uh, um, and as nationalism within France and Europe takes hold they became less inclined to follow the Pope who's in Italy and start saying, no, we want some, our own nation. We are our own nation. And um, the wealthy middle class actually is going to be the one who backs up the army and drive out the, uh, the papal power. It's the middle class that's going to be the strong supporter of that. Um, if you're going to say if, if innocent was the height, then um, Boniface the, the eighth was that point where it just starts going downhill. Like um, he suffers humiliation after humiliation by the temporal powers. Um, Philip the Friar of France, you know. Um, anyways, he, he, you know, he's going to. Um, Boniface is going to try to. He's going, to, he's going to suffer. He's going to start losing power. So he's going to throw out edict after edict after edict. One of his things he says is that uh, um, the papal bull known as uh, Unam Sanctum, which he claimed neither salvation nor remission of sin could be found outside the Roman church. And the pope is the head of the Roman church and had the spiritual and temporal authority over all. And the sub submission to the pope was necessary to salvation. Submission to the Pope was necessary for salvation. Um, Boniface, however, could not... Uh, well, he didn't have the, the ability to, to bring uh, military might to his words like uh, uh, Innocent did. And uh, he will try, he'll actually excommunicate the king of uh, Philip, uh, um, but um,
but he will struggle over power and uh, and this is probably where it becomes where the the pope the popal power becomes its weakest um, from 1294 to 1303 where he's the the, the pope um, All right. Um, well, that's where we're at. Um, yeah, there's a lot of history that I, I just skipped over. <laughs> um, to kind of, I want to just, I'm kind of skimming over it because I want to make sure that we're just kind of gathering the feel of the issue. If you're interested in this time period, there's a lot of great books out there on this time period. Uh, a lot of YouTube videos you can watch. Um, but uh, that are very fascinating. This time period's fascinating, even though I personally have a lot of hard times with this. It's a very interesting time period. Um, of course, some of the things I skipped because I didn't want to get into German or France or English history, because we would have to do a lot more setup than I was willing to do. Um, because the church is so intertwined with the state, there's no way you can just say, we're gonna study church history and and leave out the state as well through some of these issues um, next week we are going to talk about your crusaders um, at least briefly i don't know how in depth i'm going to go through each crusade but um, your crusade is is one of those points that i view as one of the low points in christianity Maybe even the lowest. I'm not sure, but uh, this is pretty low. Um, yeah, but it's these people that were bringing the Crusades on, with their military desire for military might, and their desire to rule the world, both spiritually and physically. Uh, when they arrived in, in the Americas, were they Catholic, Christian, uh, Protestants? Yes. <laughs> uh, depending on which group you were talking about, the, the Spanish uh, the people were, that came over were largely Catholics. That's why you have like the Mexican and, the, and, the, and again, all the way up into California, New Mexico, uh, Arizona is all largely Catholic area because that's where the Spanish rule was at. Um, you have the English and the Dutch that were at that point, at the time they come over to the United States, will have largely separated from the Catholic Church. And so they will have the Church of England and the Puritans and the, the Quakers and, the, um, and, uh, and other such groups all on the East Coast there, as well as some Catholics as well as... Uh, um, the Irish Catholics as well. Um, uh, well, I, I, I'm not separating Catholic from Christian. Uh, they're, they're both Christian. Uh, no, not in the way we're using it in here. Um, Catholic, all, right now, all the Catholic, the Catholic, 
the Christian church is the only two major splits are the Catholic and the Orthodox. They're all the, the Christians. Uh, I'll fall under these two. Now, you might believe different things, but you're still under the, one, either these two headings, Catholics or the, or the Orthodox. There's small little groups that pop up here and there, but there's no separation. And it's not until we get into the, after the time of uh, the, the uh, reform era, era that we start seeing different denominations of, uh, pop up. Um, and we'll just call them denominations. Um, I would say Catholicism is a branch of Christianity. I'm going to put it in a hard set of Christianity, Catholic, Eastern Orthodox, under Christianity, Baptist, uh, Baptist, Methodist, uh, all these different groups under Reformed groups. Um, so um, we're going to, but it's, they're all under a larger group, uh, Christian. Um, now, when the United States has been formed, and we'll get to this eventually, um, it's largely a Christian nation under different, now there are atheists and agnostics as well, uh, but they're largely Christian people, though there will be some difference, some Scandinavian, some, you know, that will in, the mix in with the, uh, then, of course, the slave trade brings in people that believe in the Vudan, uh, which is, well, you might know it as voodoo. Uh, the Haitian and the, the, the Palima, uh, Malabo and the, the, uh, the, the, um, the hoodoo, because the, the, hoodoo and voodoo are two different things. Um, uh, you know, uh, so you got these different groups that come in because of that. Uh, but it's largely Christians at this time. Um, some of them are carried over because of the missionary movement. They want to expand God's kingdom. Some of it is just they're seeking away, away from the persecution of different Christian groups. Some of it is um, just because they're poor and they want money. <laughs> Language divide will happen naturally. Uh, right now, even back right now, you have different, uh, within the time period we're talking about, you're going to have language, you're going to have people speaking Spanish, you're going to have people, but the church is Latin or Greek. You're, if you're Orthodox, you're doing Greek. If you're Latin, if you're in the, if you're in the East, you're doing Greek. If you're in the West, you're doing Latin. And so Latin will be, at this time, the language of trade. It will be the language of, of, author, uh, of power. It won't be till later we start seeing things like Germany, German being a popular language, Spanish will be a popular language, English will be a popular language, French will be a popular language, because they start developing into a bigger power. Right now, the, the, Roman, the, the Catholic is controlling the education, controlling the... Um, the, uh, the, the Bible controlling the people. So Latin is the number one language outside of their own development. A lot of people, <coughs> if you're educated, are bilingual. It was, actually, it's really quite new in our 
in our history that uneducated people are not bilingual. Um, the idea that I only speak one language would have been really weird. Because I'm an educated person, of course I would speak at least Greek. Um, I mean, uh, some of you had Greek in school or, or Latin in school. It was part of the education process. Um, Uh, no, Latin, all languages change. Languages change every 20 years or so. Even English that was spoken 20 years ago is not the same English that's spoken today. That was King, King James English, yeah. Yeah. Nope, that's, that's, that's King James English. All right, um, it is time to call it quits because uh, it's after seven. All right, would anyone like to pray us out of here? Okay. Go ahead, Rudy.